You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, we're going to talk about a new Illinois football commitment, three-star offensive lineman Caleb High from Bart Miller doing work in the class of 2024 for Illinois. We'll break that down. Also going to have a chat with Cody Westerland. Uh, Cody, Illinois graduate, uh, covered Illinois for the News Gazette back in the day. Uh, I started a recruiting blog for the IlliniHQ.com back in the day. Cody took over that, uh, so he's got plenty of experience around here. But we're going to talk to him because he covers the Chicago Bulls, and he covers Io DeSumo. And Io DeSumo technically on the market a little bit. Uh, probably going to get a qualifying offer from the Bulls, but we'll talk about Io DeSumo's first two seasons in a Chicago Bulls uniform and in the NBA and what is next for him starting with uh, this offseason, what his future role is with the Bulls and what his long-term future is in the NBA. We'll also talk a little bit uh, to Cody about where the Bulls are at. Uh, Nikola Vucevic is back. Uh, I, on the surface, don't hate that because I think he's a good player. Obviously, a huge cost that they gave up for him, probably too much. But uh, where are they going? Because continuity for a team that didn't even make the playoffs uh, doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, we'll talk to Cody all about that. But let's start by focusing on Illinois landing three-star Nebraska offensive line Caleb Pyfrom, a latest addition for Illinois football. Now up to 12 commitments in the month of June 15 for the class of 2024. And while Brett Bielma has had some really good Big Ten recruiting wins over his last couple years, and first couple years as the Illinois head coach, you know, you think of Caden Fagan, Aiden Lawfrey, two wins over rival Iowa. You're able to keep those running backs in state. Jared Beatty had offers from Minnesota, Michigan State, uh, some other schools like that. Flipping Vernon Woodward from Wisconsin. Huge get in this class. Winning for Joe Barna, three-star in-state edge rusher, beating out Wisconsin for him. I think that's big. But for me, Caleb Pyfrom could be the most impressive Big Ten recruiting win that Brett Bielma has had so far. Because, well, I, I know that this has happened to Nebraska fans or some reporters might be saying, you know, Nebraska didn't have a spot for him left, all that. They do have four offensive line commits, um, so that that's a potential. I'm not going to belittle that. But they wanted him a couple weeks ago, right? So maybe they got a couple other O-line commits. But Caleb Pyfram wanted to take other visits, including Illinois. And Illinois is able to pluck Pyfram out of Nebraska. He grew up an hour away from Lincoln, right in big red territory, right? So I think this is a monster win for Illinois because it's one, it's an offensive lineman, but two, to get him out of Nebraska, because I'm sure three weeks ago, Nebraska was likely to take a commitment from him. Matt Rule 
was really pushing hard for him personally for this. So uh, I'm not going to buy it was as clean cut as Nebraska didn't want him. And for Illinois to go get their first Nebraska player, uh, you know, as long as he signs, he will be the first letterman for Illinois from Nebraska since World War One, right? More than 100 years ago. That's an impressive get for Illinois. And to do it against Nebraska for a Nebraska kid is really impressive because I'm pulling it up on our YouTube channel here. You look at the top 247 composite rankings guys in Nebraska, the top four are all going to Nebraska. All these kids grow up. You know, knowing the history, knowing the proud program that Nebraska is, of course, they haven't been as good. Uh, in the Big Ten here recently. I think a lot of that is due to line play. Uh, Offensive and defensive line play, they have not been very strong. And, of course, coaching. They have upgraded as a coach, obviously. Got to take my final shots here at Scott Frost. Apparently, I have many more shots. But he just wasn't a strong coach. Lost a lot of close games. Um, I don't think Nebraska should have been in that many close games, especially with some of these Big Ten West teams. But Caleb Pye from the number five guy in the state that Nebraska had offered, hosted for an official visit, had wanted leading up until the last couple weeks at the very least. Illinois is able to snag him. That's a really impressive recruiting win. And when you look at the highlight film of a guy like Caleb Pyfrom, you see what Illinois really, really wants in a prospect. Uh, And that is someone who is physical, right? That's what Brett Bielma and Bart Miller really, really want. And, you know, you, you turn on this film of Caleb Pye from and it's physical it's big it's six foot five 300 pounds he plays right tackle I think he really projects to be that uh, at the next level as well and that, that's another thing offensive tackles are really hard to get there's only so many guys that are that big that athletic and for many years Illinois has been sitting here trying to take developmental flyers and we'll dive into that here in a second but you know some big guys just like in basketball They play football because they're told to play football or they're built to play football. You know, one of the things I look for in, you know, big men in basketball is how hard they play, how much they enjoy playing. And with football, big guys can run over people in high school, but just because they're sheer size, sheer power, they got a huge advantage, right, over most of the competition they're playing. But what I want to look for is how physical are they? Are, are they driving people back? Are they putting people into the ground? Um, you know, do they have a little chippiness to them? Because they're going to need that at the next level when you're going up against Big Ten defensive linemen from Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Iowa, right? Like, you need to have that chip on your shoulder. And I see that in Caleb Pyfrom. I'm going to roll the tape back here a second just to highlight it on the YouTube channel. Watch this play, Caleb Pyfrom. It's Ryan Easterling's favorite play. Pancakes two guys at the same time, one into each arm. That's the stuff you want to see. Like, I get it. Some of those guys might be Jeremy Warner-sized, 5'10", no, 5'10", 5'9", uh, 185, 190 pounds. But, hey, to do two of them at the same time, that's that can translate uh, to the next level. So I really like his film. I think he's a really legit Power 5 offensive line prospect. Obviously, Minnesota has had a really good run of offensive linemen. And they're just taking it to the next level. They're upgrading their talent at one of the hardest positions to fill. And I'll, I'll just focus wide you know, kind of wide-angled here at the offensive line. From 2019 to 2022, Illinois' offensive line recruiting was not that good. They had 14 prep offensive line signees, combined 26 other Power 5 offers. So out of those 14 guys, average two Power 5 offers per guy, a little under that. 
during the last two recruiting classes, and if you add Eddie Turk to this, because he very well could play guard or center for Illinois, Illinois' seven prep offensive line additions have a combined 60 other Power 5 offers. Right now, Brandon Hansen only lists Illinois. He has not said if he's gotten any other Power 5 offers, but he has legit Power 5 interest from other big-time programs. Uh, I've, I've heard including the Big Ten in the SEC. So uh, probably a little higher on that list, actually. And I just think it's really impressive what they've been able to do. That's almost nine Power 5 offers per the other guys. So this could be a really strong offensive line class, and I, I think most of these guys have the potential to play tackle. And, and you think of the tackle bodies they've added. Um, Brandon Henderson was committed to Matt Campbell in Iowa State. Zafir Stewart and, and Zachary Amlin both had 10 Power 5 offers closer to home on the East Coast. Again, I mentioned Brandon Hansen in the Power 5 interest he's had elsewhere since committing to Illinois. You compare that to, you know, not, not to throw shade at these guys, but it's just the facts. Evan Kurtz, Blaze Sparks, Pfeiffer Griffin, Mountis Muller even. And I think he's got a high ceiling. Each of those guys had one other Power Five offer. Josh Geske had two other Power Five offers. Some of that might have to do with COVID. Same thing with Hunter Whitenack, who had no other Power Five offers. And Josh Geske's competing for a starting job. Hunter Whitenack's on the two deep. Mountis Muller still has a really high ceiling. But your Illinois had kind of this advantage of the COVID eligibility with Vidarian Lowe, Alex Pelcheski, Julian Pearl all playing five to six years. They've kind of been able to overshadow some of that tackle. Recruiting that they they haven't gotten in these these top tackles and some of those names I mentioned aren't either playing the position anymore like Kurtz or Blaze Sparks and, and Pfeiffer Griffin did not last long under Brett Bielma so the talent you are adding Brandon Henderson I think could be the starter as a redshirt freshman at left tackle um, I, th- I think Hunter Whitenack could be potentially playing uh, I think he might be better suited for a guard but you get these higher ceiling higher floor tackles that are just hard to get. Uh, and you compare this, like, this is one way of measuring it, and it's not a perfect way of measuring it. But Kale Pyfrom is the highest-ranked offensive line prospect of the Brett Bielema era. Um, so I don't think that is something to overlook. Now, the other six guys, really, only two worked out uh, that were above him in the rankings. Gabe Magnuson didn't work out. Um, injuries had something to do with that. But Virtus Brown... Brody Wise Carver, Ruben Unige, Unige now at Houston, by the way. But Kendra Green worked out, Joe Spencer worked out. But I just think in terms of recruiting win, I do think that's a that's an interesting thing to look at. Obviously, some guys can supersede their their rating. Ted Karras, Nick Algretti, Darian Lowe, Alex Pelcheski, Doug Kramer, all play better and guys rated higher than them. But I just think in terms of recruiting win, uh, you, you can see Caleb Ifram is a pretty big-time one for Illinois. And it shouldn't be a shock, right? I mean, this is this is what Brett Bielma does. It's what he did at Wisconsin. He had five offensive tackles get drafted um, you know, during his time as a head coach. He's had 14 offensive linemen be drafted as a, as a head coach. Um, he's had, and he always says that. Nick Saban is the only guy with more offensive line drafted since 2006. And Saban's coached in the college game for two more years than him. And, of course, he's done it at Alabama. So he uses that. It worked really well here for Caleb Pye from. And, you know, he's developed five first-round offensive linemen, including Joe Thomas and Gabe Karimi uh, at, at, the, at the first round. Sorry to bring Karimi's name up, Bears fans, but Joe Thomas, pretty dang good one. Um, he's he's just got a really good sell. And Bart Miller, kudos to him for going into his home state, his hometown. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. Came to high school and, and played high school football here in Illinois. But – 
to go into Nebraska and steal a guy of Pi Fromm's calibers is really impressive. So we'll see. I mean, not all these guys are going to work out. Not all these offensive linemen, offensive tackles are going to work out. When you stack a bunch of them, you have them compete against each other. Uh, you got a higher ceiling. You got a higher floor. You just have more depth, which offensive line depth has been a huge issue for Illinois. And it, it might still be. I think they're starting to get there. But offensive line depth has been an issue. It does not look like it's going to be an issue uh, long term for Illinois, even though you can never use, uh, never have enough bodies on the offensive line. But what a month for, for Illinois football recruiting. Again, 12 commitments. They've gotten. 15 of their 27 official visitors are committed. It's a really impressive recruiting run for Illinois. And while you know they don't have the four stars that Purdue does, Ryan Walters can recruit defensive backs and wide receivers, apparently, by the way. Uh, they're a top 40 class in the country right now, as I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon. They are number 35 in the composite rankings. That'll all change, but you're just seeing Illinois compete and win some Big Ten recruiting battles. You're not going to win them all. You lost Luke Williams to Purdue. That stung. Wisconsin kind of owned you early in this class, but you bounced back to be able to steal Woodward, to be able to get Barna, to be able to get Pye from. Uh, those are really good recruiting wins for Illinois that I get it. It's not the sexiest four-star names here, but there's a lot of top thousand guys. There's a lot of Big Ten offers on this list. You know, the only guy that didn't have another power five offer was chase green amar reynolds a lower rated guy not in the composite yet but a three-star both at 24 7 and i believe it rivals yeah those guys are, are lower you know on the high the floor i guess for for some of this but you know those guys are power five prospects when i look at them there's not a lot of iffy takes or questionable takes so far in this class a lot of solid really good power five prospects and for me guys like Tyshawn Griffin, Eddie Turk, Caleb Pyfrom, I, I think Demetrius John's in that mix, I think Vernon Woodward could potentially be the best prospect in this class so far, Carson Conkle, good in-state get, Easton Baker, one of my favorite guys and everybody's favorite guy it seems like in this class, it's just a really good class it's it's not maybe great yet and that's where Darion Dupree or Khalil Valentine or Marquise Lightfoot could change things but to have 15 guys on board, and this is the best foundation of a class I think Brett Bielema has had. I think it's the highest four class with some couple high-ceiling guys. I, I think it's a really good start to June, and now you can really narrow your focus. You can see what you can get at running back. Like I'm thinking for my recruiting lounge, what are going to be my top needs? And, and running back might be the top one. And given what Illinois has at running back, what they've gotten at running back since Brett Bielema got here, Josh McCray, Jordan Anderson, Aiden Lawfrey, and, and Caden Fagan, that's a pretty good place to be. And then you shoot your shot for another offensive lineman, a Brett Carroll, who might be my favorite guy if they were able to get him in this class. Love his film. A lot of Ted Karras to him. Uh, they want to add potentially Tanner Hollinger, the tight end, and, and, and you could question that one if you want to. But, uh, you know, I think it's a position of need where they need depth, and, and he's got some interesting upside. One more DB I think would be the case. Dalen Platt would be one I, I would kind of circle. Ricky Knight, Kevin Levi. If Florida State takes both of them, tough to get. Uh, but Marquise Lightfoot, obviously, is the, the guy that could really be the headline. Herman Darion Dupree. So now they can really focus on that. And and while scholarships, how many are they going to use in the class, that changes throughout this. Five more, potentially, would be the high end for me. And the fact that you only have – you've already got 15. 
I mean, attrition to the NFL, to the transfer portal, potential decommitments, because they always happen. There's usually one or two that might surprise you in each class. But this is a, a heck of a foundation of the class. And it looks like what Iowa and Wisconsin do year after year. And while I know you don't want that to be your ceiling potentially, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. After the last three decades of Illinois football, most of people's lifetimes listening to this, or at least half most for most of you, um, this that would be a heck of heck of a life for Illinois to get to that level. And they're recruiting like it. They're they're coaching like it. They're competing like it on the field. Obviously, you got some some steps to take, but I think you got to be encouraged with what they're doing on the field and now in recruiting. They're just far more competitive than at least the program I've covered for the last 10 years. And even the last couple of years around Zook, they were not recruiting all that well. They just weren't winning Big Ten battles. Pi Fromm is another example of a good Big Ten recruiting win. All right, when we come back, Cody Westerlin. What's he make of Io DeSumo's first two years in the NBA with the Chicago Bulls? What is next for him in his career, whether it's with the Bulls, not with the Bulls, and what could he be long-term in the NBA? We'll talk about that, and we'll dive into the Bulls. How do they get out of this mediocrity or below average or below mediocrity? How do they get out of it? We'll talk to Cody Westerland, 67thescore.com, coming up next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. All right, let's talk some NBA. Let's talk about the Illini's go-to guy right now in the NBA. They're hoping to add more uh, Illini here in the future to the NBA. Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins putting that off for a year. But Cody West only covers the Chicago Bulls for 670 The Score, 670thescore.com. Cody, thanks for joining us, man. How you been? I'm good. How you doing, Jeremy? Uh, doing well. For people that don't know, Cody Westerland, Illinois grad, uh, worked at the Daily Illini, worked at the News Gazette, was the uh, Illini HQ recruiting reporter after me. Uh, so you got the connection here to Champaign, so the people know. Yeah, it's uh, I owe you a lot for, for just my early days. I, think, I still think you're the first person that ever put me on radio, so if there's any <laughs> audio platform in which my opinions, analysis, or information offends anyone, you can just blame Jeremy, I think. There you go. There you go. Well, Cody, I want to – let's get your intersection of Illinois and Chicago Bulls here. Let's start this off before we dive into where the Bulls are uh, in in the crossroads, probably offseason or two that they're kind of facing here. But how would you evaluate Io DeSumo's first two seasons uh, as an NBA player so far? I like the first one. I didn't like the second one as much, Jeremy. And, I mean, pretty much all of it can be – tied back to the outside shooting, right? He shot, I think, 31%, just a hair over from three-point range um, in his sophomore season in the NBA. So he's always been willing to do whatever the Bulls have needed and asked, but he just didn't attract enough defensive attention to take that next step in his second year. And it's not completely shocking, right? Like, there's a lot of players in the NBA that come on strong as a rookie And then, you know, the 82-game season can catch up to him. The adjustments um, from year to year, teams figure figure you out a little bit. So, again, not shocking. It's not like by any means his NBA career has been derailed. But you want to see him take the next step for his sake. If he returns to the Bulls in free agency, that would be for the Bulls' sake, obviously. But, look, we know, and we've said this 100 times, I, I think, when we've talked before, um, good straight line driver to the hoop, can get out and transition, um, has good basketball IQ, but you want to just draw that defense out a little more to open up space for yourself. 
and for your teammates that slashed the hoop and some of those stars. So, I mean, when you look at his offseason, it, it all comes down to being a more consistent shooter. Yeah, and he, he faced uh, some big pressure early on the season, right? Being, being the starter with Lonzo Ball out and Lonzo, I think everybody knows, was, was such a connector, made everybody so much better. Why do you think he struggled in that role? Is it, is it as simple as making shots? Yeah, that's, that's certainly a, a fair part of it, but it was a lot to ask Io to do what Lonzo was doing, right? Because Io has a little bit more of the lead guard mentality going back to his days with the Illini, right? Yeah. Um, being a scorer, whereas Lonzo is Lonzo's happy to be the fifth option. There are games where Lonzo would be happy to score three points, and I'm not saying that Io wouldn't be happy with that, but those two are wired completely differently. And then when Lonzo's out for a whole year and he's not expected to play this upcoming year either, so we know how extensive those those knee injuries are for him, it's really hard to ask Io to do what Lonzo was doing. And I think the Bulls were just kind of at a crossroads with their identity without Lonzo because he's a premier defender. He's a high-volume good three-point shooter, and Io is neither of those yet. Um, Lonzo's a great hit-ahead passer, whereas Io's more the guy that gets out on the break with the ball or gets the ball. So those things that they're asking him to do weren't natural to Io. Then you go into some of the things that it felt like were a little more natural to Io, like especially as a rookie, he had a pretty good connection with Nikola Vucevic, who the Bulls just re-signed on a three-year deal. They, they had a good connection in the pick-and-roll game for a few weeks, and then it's like the Bulls didn't do a lot of that with those two. So he's the fifth option, and ask him to be a traditional point guard, do things that he didn't want to do. Like He's just better served for this Bulls team, obviously, coming off the bench, and he did that late in the season once they added Patrick Beverly, but I think he started 51 games for the Bulls as a sophomore, and sometimes it was a rocky road for, for that team as they struggled to find their identity, and that's on Billy Donovan, that's on the star players, and then that's on Io to fit in as they see fit. Uh, he's a restricted free agent, Cody. Free agency yeah. starts on, on Friday evening. What are the scenarios for him this offseason? Yeah, so the Bulls extended the qualifying offer, which because he started over more than half the games of the season, is $5.2 million. So um, at any time Io wants, he could sign that one-year contract for $5.2 million, but it sounds like he'd rather get a multi-year deal with more money guaranteed. Um, so the Bulls will have matching rights and restricted free agency. If you're asking me for, for just one prediction, is he back or not, I would say more likely now that he's back with the Bulls than not. So I would say yeah. yes. Um, that's because, look, they, they like him. They love his attitude. Um, the fact that they found him in the draft and, and you want to draft and develop guys. So that is a tenant. Even though the Bulls have, have thrown away a lot of draft capital to get some guys, they still do want to draft and develop as much as they can. And he's an example of this, of, of value where you picked him, certainly. So um, it just depends on that cost. Like the Bulls have some luxury tax questions. So, like, they're not going to sit there and get in a bidding war with anyone for Io, even if it's – another team like that we're not seeing 10 12 million dollars a year here a bidding war for for io annually but they don't they will be cognizant i think is my point of every few extra million um with io which i i think can kind of be a contradiction of other things they've done right because yeah. there wasn't much tension in the negotiations with nikola vucevic they brought him back even though they probably weren't bidding against many other teams or have too much competition for his services. So it seems like in this organization, there's like a threshold for the Bulls where if you're a star player or you're a veteran or whatever, it's like you just kind of get your way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Io's not at that level yet. So I, I do think they'll be aware 
um, of the contract, but I would look for him to probably sign a two-year deal with the Bulls. I mean, maybe there's a third year in there where the team has a little bit, little bit of control over the option or perhaps a non-guaranteed money, something like that. But if you're IO, I mean, you can share your opinion here too. Like what's, what's better for you, right? Like it's probably better even if it's two years, 8 million to get that 8 million guaranteed rather than one year, 5.2 and, right. and try to parlay it into something bigger. And that's not to say it's two and eight, like it could be two and 10, two and 12, who knows? I, I don't think, I think 6 million would be certainly too much for IO annually, given what he's proved so far. But I mean, I think you're looking at a reasonable small contract that, that he can return to the bulls on. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's value of him being in Chicago, right? I think, uh, you know, personally there's some value there and I just don't know if he hits the open market. Like, is anybody going to restrict a free agency two years, 20 million? I, I mean, there's got, there's teams that got to spend money, Cody, but I just don't know if I was, like, yeah, I was, it's interesting, right? I've, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I've talked to a few Bulls people about just this, this IO stuff. And it, like I said, seems more likely than not, they'll come back. But like, I haven't really heard from anyone fits in free agency matching. And certainly when you're not a tier one or tier two, tier three free agent, like there's not as much speculation around you, but it it's weird. Cause I don't have an exact team that he go, could go to, but at the same time, when you look at it, like, because of the price range he'll be in, he could literally fit with any team that just wants a young guy or yeah. has some money to spend. And I think if you're the Bulls, I think that's like, that's the one thing I would be concerned about if I was the Bulls as IO looks at other options. And we, we haven't got a read for him of like how much attachment to home or, or any sort of hometown discount he may be willing to give. But teams have to be within 90% of the salary salary floor when the season starts this year, right? So you got to be within 90%. Some of these young teams like took cap space into last season and didn't use it till later on extensions or take on bad contracts. They'll feel pressured to sign and get to that floor and they might want to overpay by a few million to someone like Io. So that's the one thing if I'm the Bulls, I'd be keeping an eye on and be like, that's where I'm worried is that teams are more inclined to spend money sooner this year than they would be in past years. So what do you think Io DeSumo's long-term outlook is uh, in the NBA, Cody? I mean, I, I think he's a bench player in the NBA, a rotation guy. Um, I, It's interesting, too. Like, we always have these discussions in sports radio and podcasts, like, can I win a championship with so-and-so as my star players? My number one, my number two, this, that. Like, I, I don't think you're winning a championship if, I, if Io's your sixth or seventh man, but if he keeps – um, progressing there's no reason he can't be in the rotation at the end of a rotation of a successful team right. so um, again that all comes back so much to his shooting right like I feel like we kind of know what he is elsewhere as a player right like he's a solid defender he's not a lockdown defender like you're not throwing him out there on someone who's averaging 30 a game and efficiently and being confident that he's going to slow him down, but he plays well within the system. He generally knows where to go. He does a pretty good job fighting through screens um, most of the time. Now the Bulls at times got in disarray, um, sometimes against good teams defensively in the last couple of years. Um, but all in all, like I, I feel like there's a foundation of you know what you're going to get from him night to night, and it goes back to the shooting element. Um, and once again, like. Again, not a lead playmaker for others, not a guy I envision averaging seven, eight, nine assists in the NBA at any point, but like 
knows where to pass the ball if he has attracted attention. So those are the things that I point as a playmaker. And he's he's not a premier athlete in the NBA by any sort whatsoever. So I think that probably limits his ceiling in some ways when you're looking at what's his future role. That's probably why it's not starting material long-term on a good team, which isn't to say he won't keep getting starts the way the NBA goes and how he has been reliable. All right, Cody, let's focus on the Bulls at large here. Um, How would you describe the state of the Chicago Bulls right now? Extremely average. Just average locking themselves into an average state of mind coming off this 40 and 42 year. Like it, the best way to describe bringing Vooch back on a three year, $60 million deal is that it wasn't good and it wasn't bad. It, it literally just existed in the realm of something they needed to do and was not going to tank their team and was not going to elevate their team. And that is separate it in ways from the transaction that, that they acquired him in, right? Like right. They, they are in this situation because they don't have a lot of draft capital moving forward. Vooch has some limitations in his game, but then you look elsewhere on the roster, it's like Vooch isn't the main problem, but you go around all these players, like Zach Levine's not the main problem for the Bulls. Like I don't know that DeMar DeRozan is the main problem for the Bulls. Vooch isn't the main problem for the Bulls, but Jamar and Vooch don't shoot three-pointers at a high level, and that's a huge problem for the Bulls. The Bulls are very limited what they can do defensively to cover for Demar and Vooch's deficiencies um, in the way they need to play. They need to have Caruso and Ball out there. They need Vooch at times to, to drop or, or not be aggressive in pick-and-roll coverage or they'll get burnt. So there's all these like limitations placed on the team because they've spent big money on players that have limitations in certain areas and don't really uplift everyone else. And Zach Levine in his own way is that that as well, right? Like really efficient offensive score, but he struggled for long stretches in crunch time. He doesn't take care of the ball well enough and he's been better defensively, but still is not by any means anything better than average probably in that department on a good day. So um, it's just, it's kind of depressing when you think of it in those terms, because it does seem so difficult for this team to elevate to the next level and they've been they've been locked in by their past moves and I think there's a fair number of fans that would say they've been doomed by those moves because the expectations certainly are higher than the play in tournament and even higher than the sixth seed they got a couple of years ago you know the one thing is th- these moves might not have worked out with Alonzo Ball's injury uh Vooch it, it was too expensive uh, I, I like him as a player I, I think he's a really good player I think he's fun to watch um he needs to make more threes, but I, he's, he, as you said, he's not their problem. But, like, there was some creativity. There was some, I guess, ingenuitiveness like that I haven't seen from a Bulls front office in a while. But then, like, this last year, Arturis Karnasovas and, and Mark Eversley, or I guess the last two years, Cody, just kind of been stagnant here. Uh, yeah. Like, what what has happened there? And what, what, what are your impressions of this front office since then and you know really since the Lonzo injury and and what this next week or so means for them there's two reasons I think they're stagnant one is because they did use so much draft capital to acquire Vooch and DeMar DeRozan so naturally they couldn't be as aggressive um they haven't been a team that's gone past the luxury tax either so that that constrains you a little bit but then I think they've also fallen in love with some of their players I think Kobe White's a perfect example which maybe they're going to be proved right in this situation because he had he had a strong year last year, I thought, much better as an all-around player, and it's certainly tracking toward bringing Kobe White back. 
but they could have traded him for sure and like shook up the roster a little bit in in some ways maybe get a bigger forward at some point I, I mean he was tied to the Grizzlies in trade speculation like in the last two three years even stuff like that and they have a hundred wings it seems like on that team and forwards and stuff like just guys like that situations where they probably could have flipped Kobe for some sort of late draft pick or um I shouldn't I don't know for for sure what draft pick they could have flipped him for, but like had him in deals where they got draft capital in some way. Um, And they didn't do that. Why? Because I think they, at the time, valued him a little higher than what he was playing like. And that's the same thing it sounds like with Zach Levine being chopped a little bit on the trade market lately. It sounds like teams are hanging up fairly quickly after the Bulls contact them to, to gauge the interest. So I think it's the lack of draft capital led to that overvalue their own players a little bit more. And like, also, if you want to keep going down the list, like a steadfast belief in what they built when Lonzo Ball was healthy, and then this false hope that Lonzo somehow would have been healthy at some point last year or moving forward this year. Finally, at long last, it sounds like Arturis Kernishvis is publicly um, revealing and acknowledging that Lonzo's not going to come back this year and they're not operating as if he will. They probably should have done that six months ago yeah. even. And they would say they did a little bit by, by getting Patrick Beverly um, on the buyout market for late in the season and everything. But it's a little bit of, of stubbornness, I, I think, for this front office because they they like and trusted what they built, but there was only, what, a 45-game stretch maybe um, when that was fully operational and healthy. So that's why, I mean, for a couple transaction cycles, certainly last year, free agency, all they did was add Drummond and Goran Dragic, really, that's basically just punning free agency and then a couple trade deadlines. They didn't really do anything. So it's like three big transaction cycles more or less went by without them doing much. So you understood a little bit why they were had their hands tied and then a little bit um, they just they just chose not to because they liked what they had had before. So what do you expect out of them now? Is it is it continuity still or, or do they try and shake this up? Do they look I mean, we, we've heard the, the price on Levine is high. I understand he's he's really good. Uh, he's, a, he's a really good player. Is there any value for a DeMar DeRozan? For me, it's hard to find a fit for, for such a yeah, heliocentric I, I, player. I thought DeMar would be – I mean, you always look at Los Angeles teams, both of them, Clippers and Lakers, have had interest in him before um, he wanted to play um, in Los Angeles, obviously, at, at some point in his career. So I always turn to there. But it, past them, it's kind of hard, right? Now it sounds like – um, the Clippers obviously are, are shopping Paul George a little bit. Um, so maybe they want to put someone else in, but are they chasing James Harden? That's that's going to take DeMar DeRozan off the map, stuff like this. You know what I mean? Like there's so many permutations and the Bulls don't have these players that are like the number one star of the off season. So they have to wait for things to play out sometimes. So um, I expect him to keep shopping Zach Levine, right? Like, and I think they're right to set a high price when they shop him because it, there's no doubt. I mean, as long as he's healthy and he was he was healthy last year um, after that, that slow start sitting out a few games, um, he's going to be worth just as much at the trade deadline this upcoming year as he is right now if he's healthy. So, like, there's no reason to trade him just for the sake of trading him yet at this time, I don't think. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's hard. Like, if you ask me what I expect – I. I expect the same core three to come back and for the Bulls to add some shooting with the mid-level exception in free agency, um, maybe another shooter on the biannual exception, and for them to let Javante Green go. Um, Derek Jones has already opted out of his player option, so I expect him to go. So, like, like how different will the roster look? And I'm like, 
well, it'll probably look different at the eight and nine spots on the roster. If they're lucky, the sixth man, you know what I mean? Um, in this case. So uh, they're juggling like two trains of thought right now that bring them back, do the same thing. But also we don't love Zach enough to commit to building around him. So we're just going to keep taking phone calls on him or, or calling other people. And like, this goes back, I think to like last season when we first saw the, uh, the friction a little bit pop up was when Billy Donovan benched Zach Levine late in a home game against the Magic. I think it was in November, if I remember correctly, but it was early in the season. And Zach didn't take kindly to that at all. And, like, it's just kind of always been a reminder that, like, the Bulls like Zach. They don't love Zach at any point. I feel the um, same way as the Bulls. And, so, like, I, I, there's nights I'm like, hey, that guy could be Jamal Murray. And then there's other nights where I'm like, well, he's given the chances and he just does. There's just something missing there that for that. To some me, of those it makes more that. sense to trade DeMar. Yes. Um, but like the counter argument to, to what I just stated is like, we did see that for like a month and a half, the first year they acquired Vooch at the deadline and it went really poorly. Like it was pretty uninspiring too. There wasn't much chemistry or cohesion there, but to me, it's like, there's no market out there for Vooch right now. They were probably better off trading DeMar at the last trade deadline if they wanted to get a little more, but I still think he could certainly help a contender, but like it would just be a small trade market. I personally would trade him for like any two assets. That's like a protected first round pick and a young player who could be in my rotation. Um, I would deal him because he only has one year left. Um, And you could just make an argument that salary filler and one first round pick um, but I, I don't think the Bulls can swallow their pride enough to do it for, for that little probably. But, like, I would like to see a shakeup somehow on the core. And, like, I would not be offended by any of them going, right? Because I just – the mix has to change somehow. I like keeping Zach Levine more yes. because of his efficiency on offense and three-point shooting game. But, again, like, there's just no evidence that, like, he's elevated them to yeah. anything past average at best in his career. So you can you can make the argument for any of them to ship them out, and it feels like they're still going to be around average at best or start tanking. Yeah, so I'll just, I'll just throw my thoughts at you about what they should do because I agree with you. I don't think they're going to get the price they want for Zach Levine, and I understand it. Like, I understand setting a high price for a guy who's one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA. He's 28 years old. His deal is affordable in today's NBA. Um, so I, I think the most likely is keep him. Obviously, Vooch they're keeping. DeMar, you're not going to get a lot for But I just feel like you have to give Zach Levine the chance, Vooch the chance. And to be honest with you, you can't give up on a guy when he's 21, 22 years old. So give Patrick Williams the opportunity. Like That's- let's Let's see what he is. Let's see what Kobe White is. If it fails, it fails. Uh, I love DeMar DeRozan. I love everything he brings. I wish Zach Levine had a little bit more of that killer. Um, maybe that's unfair, but I just don't see it as much in him. And then I love Alex Crusoe. He's my spirit animal. But he's, got, <laughs> he's got so much value right now yeah. that I feel like if you can flip him for young assets, future picks or whatever. like Great contract for, yeah, for like, Caruso. And every team that's a contender needs a, you know, Alex Caruso. So I feel like that's my way of retooling. It's not a complete reset. It's not a complete rebuild. I don't know if you want to tank with this draft coming up. So I, I think the it draft's is. That's not very good for the next two years. Yeah. So it like, doesn't sound like. So like DeRose and Caruso, those would be my trade pieces I'd be putting out. The, the Zach thing, like to me, if, if you want to share his viewpoint, would be like the Bulls have never really 
put anyone next to Zach that helps cover for him or uplift his talent. Like they've never got a couple good three and D guys alongside of him, right? Like early in his career, it was like Chris Dunn. And I mean, it's been a rotation at point guard. No one's really ever worked out to Lonzo, obviously. And the one time he had more of a three and D guy with Lonzo, it did work for that stretch. So like they haven't gotten a stopper in the backcourt that can help provide space for Zach. Like Kobe White as a rookie is not doing that back in his career. Tomas Sadoransky was not that player. So like they've never done a good job building around Zach, just like the previous front office, like never surrounded Jimmy Butler with shooting either to see where he could take his offensive game to the next level and a team to the next level. And I mean, everyone wants shooting in three and D in the NBA. So it's more difficult than easier said than done, obviously, but like, I, I don't think they have done their best effort yet in surrounding Zach with what he might need to take the next step. If you want to share his viewpoint that like, look, he, he and his camp hold those types of viewpoints behind the scenes, you know, right. like surround us a little bit more with, with what we need as a team. Which is why I get frustrated. Like I was so excited. They, they actually traded into the second round in a high second round and got and bought a pick. Now you have future assets you're giving up for that. But, yeah. but then they, they, they drafted a guy who's talented in Julian Phillips, but he's not a shooter unless they found some mechanical fix. Like, I mean, that's the type of the whole front offense. It's like right. Iowa when they draft him too. Like, great. I mean, good scorer, understands basketball, can, can do a few things, play defense, but just doesn't have a consistent outside shot on him, Dalen Terry, or uh, Julian Phillips now. I mean, that's three draft picks, I think, out of like the five they've had as the Bulls front office. Last question for you. What do you think – the Laurie Markkinen thing, I was always high on him. I thought he could be good, but obviously he just wasn't that good. Never kind of – last couple of years with the Bulls, maybe it's on the Bulls, didn't take that step. He goes to Utah where he gets so much usage and really flourishes. But it kind of teaches us, hey, don't give up on 20-something, 23, 24-year-olds. So do you have any hope for Patrick Williams to take a huge leap at any point? Um. I, I love Patrick Williams' shooting ability. I have hope in him as a player. I think he can be very good. Um, I need to see a little bit more of the, the tough-mindedness, I think, right? I, I do think he's had too many confidence issues, especially for a guy who hasn't, like, like shouldn't have a reason to be as down on himself as he is at times. So, um, yeah, I have a lot of hope for Patrick Williams. Like, I, I, I'm 41, 42% from three-point range. I mean, he's always shooting over 80% from the free-throw line. Like, that's a good touch he has. Like, there's a ton to work with. There, there should be no business of, of moving on from Patrick Williams whatsoever if you're the Bulls unless you're getting a star player in a trade and he's part of that. Um, I, I would not treat him in any way, shape, or form like they treated Lowry Markkinen, right? Like, you need to learn from that mistake. Because Lowry had a lot of talent, too. And, like, look, some of the same things in Chicago, Lowry would say sometimes he didn't get the opportunity, didn't like where he is in the offense. I think more for Patrick Williams it is he doesn't get the opportunity yet because of the big three offensive yeah. guys the Bulls have, which going back to your earlier point, Jeremy, you pointed out would be a good reason to move on from one of those three to give him more opportunity. I support that too. So, like, um, my concern with Patrick Williams, if you want to bring it up, is – He's not a good passer. He basically has – I don't know if he has more career turnovers than assists or if it's like a one-to-one -one ratio exactly, but he's he's a bad passer, so he needs to be a play finisher, right? Mm -hmm. Like he needs to be end-of-the-line score. I, I don't think he's he's making plays for others, right? Like, like 
maybe once every two weeks he makes a really nice pass and people cut the highlight on Twitter and go crazy. I'm like, have you watched the other 13 days of him in these last two weeks? Like, it's just he hasn't done anything from a playmaking perspective. So he needs to focus on getting a killer mentality to be a scoring finisher because he can do that efficiently. He has the physical tools to do it. And I think he could find his lane there and identity there. And if he understands what he needs to do, I think those confidence problems go out the window. And then you see an efficient player who is capable of being um, an all-star, an efficient score, and go from there and have a building block. But you got to have lead playmakers, and I don't see that in his future for the Bulls. So good piece. I like him. I'm hopeful. But you have to understand, I think, how he fits into the picture. Yeah, I feel like this year they just need to give him an opportunity. Like they just yeah. force feed him um, and grow that confidence, see what, see what he can become. Cody Westron, 670 the score. You can follow him on Twitter at Cody Westron. Cody, appreciate the insight on Iowa and the Bulls, man. Yep, anytime. Thanks, Jeremy. Great stuff with Cody. I've been wanting to do that for a while, and I felt uh, right, right before Iowa Desumu hits restricted free agency. So the Bulls will have the right to match any offer if he gets an offer sheet, or Iowa could just uh, accept the qualifying offer. But uh, I agree with Cody. I think it's most likely. Uh, they will hold on to Io DeSumo. It seems like that's going to be the plan for the most part is uh, hold on and uh, maybe add some tinker and add some shooters uh, around this current core. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's not – this is not uh, really exciting stuff, but this is where they're at right now. With And I think Cody hit it on the head. You know, they gave up a lot of assets for – DeMar, and DeMar's really worked out. Um, Vucevic has been a good player for them. Uh, Zach Levine has gotten way better. Like, I am not I am not married to Zach Levine, but he's a really good player, and he's gotten way better the last couple of years, and last year was re- really healthy. But you put it all together, and it just doesn't work. It, it hasn't worked since Lonzo Ball's injury, and that, that's been a bummer because when he was healthy, boy, they were fun. They were good. I don't think they were a title contender, but that's okay. Like, I'm okay if you're shooting for a top six seed and seeing what happens or, you know, build something and then you can be enticing to the next superstar that becomes available. But we had that brief first half a couple years ago and then Lonzo gets hurt, Caruso gets hurt, Levine had injuries, and it just all kind of fell apart from there. So I I just want to see some creativity. I I don't want to see stubbornness and I feel like, that's what we're going to get. Um, I was really high on our tourist corner for Sovich when he came in here because, I mean, came from Denver, did what they did. Of course, when you get Nikola Jokic, and you got to be a little lucky for that to work out in the second round, but to see them build that the right way, to, to draft like they did, to to get a guy like Aaron Gordon who fit exactly what they needed, like you're hoping the Bulls could do something similar. And I, I just want to see some creativity here. I want to see uh, some movement because it's not working right now. Uh, and it's not that I don't I, I don't like any of these pieces because Levine's top 50 player in the NBA. DeRozan's a top 50 player in the NBA. Vucevic is top 10 center in the NBA. Um, you know, Patrick Williams is a really intriguing piece, but it's not working on the on the court, and a lot of it has to do with they just don't shoot threes and they don't make threes. And when you're that inefficient comparatively offensively, uh, it's all these other teams. It's not going to work. You know, it's, the math does not work for that, even if you have some individual success stories on the team so i'm intrigued over the next uh couple weeks to actually see what happens but kind of resign myself as a bulls fan at this point that then nothing interesting will really happen they'll just bring it back and uh we'll see what goes from there but anyway nice to talk some nba uh the nba is a healthy product 
I know most of you guys are college basketball fans, but uh, boy, the star power. And now I think a lot of you complained about, and understandably so, it was the Cavs and the Warriors, and it was predictable. The NBA has this predictability to it, right? Well, right now it doesn't because there's not many super teams. There's a a bunch of well-built teams uh, in in the cap. The CBA they're going to have now is going to force, you know, these super teams to be hard to build. Um, so I, I think the NBA is in a really good place when you have, what, five new champions in five years? And that's good. I, I think that's really good for the NBA, and the star power and the skill is, is fantastic to watch. The style of play is mostly fantastic to watch. So I hope you guys are enjoying it. Like I, I think it's ridiculously good product. But anyway, thanks to Cody Western for 670 The Score. Thanks to you guys for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcasts. Everybody have a great weekend. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.